I invite you now to take a Bible to open it to Matthew chapter 1. We are past the genealogy that we've been in for two weeks, which I'm probably more excited about than you are because I don't have to try to read all of the names again for you. We're in verses 18 to 25, so the second half of Matthew chapter 1. If you're using one of the Bibles provided for you, this is found on page 807, Matthew chapter 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And that'll conclude our reading for this morning. We'll actually be in this very same passage next Sunday morning. And today we're going to look at it primarily from Joseph's perspective, which is how Matthew tells the story. Uh, Luke, as he narrates the, the birth story of Christ, gives us a little bit more of Mary's perspective. And Matthew tells the story from Joseph's perspective. So today we're not going to dive too much into the significance of what Emmanuel means and exactly what it is that the child was going to do, but consider how that wonderful news impacted very practically this engaged couple, Joseph and Mary. But we do find out from the beginning that this is a miracle child. Um, though there had been a genealogy that Matthew has making the effort to connect the story of Jesus with all of these other people and their birth stories and their family histories, Jesus is a part of this lineage. He is a part of this family. But he's not now just one of a bunch of people. His birth and his life is completely unique from all the other names in the genealogy. And one of the ways that that is distinguished is in how he comes into being in this world. That it is a miracle conception. That Mary is found to be with child and it says that they were engaged and they had not yet been married, had not yet had any intimate relationships with each other. And so the way in which Jesus came into this world was different from all the other names that we had read about because the person that he was and the destiny and the mission that his life had was distinct from all of them. And so it was a miracle. And so if you're someone who struggles to believe that miracles are possible, uh, that's where the story starts. <laughs> something miraculous happened, something different that had never happened before in human history happened in time and space to this couple who was engaged to be married. 
if you're willing to consider the possibility of it and say, okay, so if something happened that had never happened before and it really was a miracle and we couldn't explain it in any other way, what would we expect to maybe flow from that? Would people immediately understand it and accept it and be excited about it? Or would actually most of the people in close proximity to it be completely surprised by it, not understand it, and not really have a clue what was going on? Well, because it was an actual miracle, the people in closest proximity to it had no idea what was going on. It was something that they didn't have a category for to expect and say, we know exactly how to handle this. You know, there, there's a manual, we've read it, and when supernatural things happen, here's how to handle them. No, they don't. They don't have that. And so they respond to it in ways that you and I would respond if supernatural, divine, and miraculous things happen in our lives. We don't get much of a description of Joseph or Mary in terms of what we know is this isn't something they campaigned for, that they said, we think we're qualified to do this, you know, do the miracle in us. No, they're very ordinary people, chosen by God for an amazing task, but not because either Joseph or Mary was better or superior than any other person. The whole point of it being a miracle is to highlight who God is and what he's capable of doing, not that we would try to figure out exactly who these people are and why would God have selected them instead of anyone else. That's to put the emphasis on the wrong place. But Matthew tells us about some of their responses so that we could learn from them not as perfect people that we should follow, but as very ordinary people like us that give us insights about what it would mean to follow after the same God. And so this miracle happens, but Joseph doesn't believe it's a miracle at first. He doesn't know what to make of it. He's asked for someone's hand in marriage. She said yes. She's pregnant, and he knows it's not from him. And what we learn about him is he's described as a just man. So when the news of this miracle child comes, he actually is described to us as a just man in verse 19. And his just response in his mind is to divorce her quietly. So he doesn't know how this happened. He actually has the option legally to see Mary punished publicly for this. There's an embarrassment that would come from this that she's now pregnant and they're not yet married. And so if he wants by law, he can actually have her punished. He can have her shamed in front of other people. He doesn't want to do that because he's a just man. But in his just response, what he's thinking to do is to divorce her quietly. So clearly at this point, he's not believing, yes, this is something done from the Holy Spirit that, that I have to respond to and be a part of. He doesn't understand it. It doesn't make sense to him. He can't figure it out. He could be extreme and embarrass her publicly or as in his mind, he's thinking what he can do is actually just divorce her quietly which for her, the prospects of being pregnant and with child, not married to anyone, 
would have put her in an incredibly vulnerable position. But Matthew is reminding us, even if he did that, for the standards of his own day, no one would have come up to him and said, Joseph, I can't believe you did that. How could you possibly let her go? How could you possibly call off the engagement? Most of the people would have looked at him and said, man, Joseph, I'm sorry to hear what happened. And, you know, praying for you, praying for her, but almost no one would have looked at him in a negative light had he moved on. And so it takes now another divine intervention. Not just the Holy Spirit to uh, conceive the child in Mary's womb, but now it takes another intervention from an angel to speak to Joseph and to give him a very direct charge. And what the angel says is, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and then announces that she'll bear a son and that he has a particular mission on this earth. It's pretty common in the Bible when an angel appears to an individual that they have to say, do not fear. Because again, it doesn't happen all the time. And so when there is a supernatural intervention, most of the people who experience it are totally afraid. They're like, they don't have a category for it. They're like, what am I supposed to do right now? And so an angel usually has to say, don't be afraid. But here, the don't be afraid is not because Joseph is shocked by what he's experiencing. The don't be afraid, the angel goes on to say, is don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Don't be afraid to remain engaged, to get married, and to care for her as she cares for this child. Well, why would that be something he should be afraid of? Because again, for most people around them, they don't know how this happened. They aren't singing silent night, a holy night, God has come. That it, that those aren't the categories for them yet. They're like, who is she? What are you guys doing? And now if you stay with her, do you, do you now know what people might say about you if you do? Like your reputation as a just man will actually be called into question. You're not, if you don't publicly shame her and you don't quietly divorce her, but you continue through with this, now there will be all kinds of rumors and things that are said about you and your character. So much so that the angel has to say to him, don't be afraid to take her as your wife. Clearly he wasn't afraid of that initially. He asked to be married to her. So the fear comes in now precisely because there is this appearance of immorality. And so in a dream, the angel speaks and gives this charge. And then we read that in verse 24, when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And so what we read is that Joseph makes the loving choice. He makes the loving choice listening to the angel of the Lord, and he takes Mary as his wife, even though it means for a period of time until there's other corroborating evidence that this is really miraculous, this is from God, that he puts his own reputation at stake, fulfills the promises that he has made, and he takes care of her in her vulnerability. 
So if we move on too quickly to what does a manual mean and what Christ came, those are good things. We're going to look at all of that next week. But we could lose sight of how, how ordinary some of this story is <laughs> when we think of the tensions that they would have faced in the limited information that they had at the time. But if Joseph doesn't listen to the charge from the angel, we don't know how then we read the rest of the story. We, we don't know how it would continue. He needs to be persuaded to take care of her in her most vulnerable condition. This isn't something that she campaigned for or asked for to be done. It's happened to her. But her life expectancy, if she is simply discarded or pushed away, is completely different than if he takes her as his wife, promises to protect her, and care for her. And this is a beautiful picture of then what the Christ would come to do. That he would come for the most vulnerable in this world. That he would come to bring people who are vulnerable into a position of safety and security. And that he would even do it at the risk of what some would say about his own reputation. Matthew, who's writing this for us, knows this. His background is a tax collector. He was disliked from everybody. And it was when Jesus asked Matthew to come and be one of his disciples that the religious leaders were around and said, what is he doing eating with people like this? And now years and years later, Matthew's writing it down for the church to remember the good news and reminding all of us that, that, yeah, that's exactly why Jesus came. His inclusion of me as someone who is hated by most of my fellow countrymen into his inner core of disciples to love me and to invite me to follow after him and to make me safe and secure in his family forever. When he came into this world, Joseph could have done the just thing and divorced Mary quietly, but he chose to do the risky thing and to just hold out judgment longer. <laughs> Joseph's not someone who's mixing the categories of what's right and wrong, of what's sin and not sin, or holy and unholy. So it's not a contrast between justice and love. There's no conflict in God between those two categories. But he's hearing from the angel that what has been done is not sinful, it is good, but he recognizes the perception of everyone else on it and doesn't allow his choices to be influenced ultimately by the perceptions of other people, but by the call of God upon his life to assume and accept the risk that comes with that, which is also what we see in the life of Christ. He didn't mix the categories of right and wrong. He didn't justify sin. But time and again, he was willing to extend himself to those who were vulnerable in this world, who felt left out by the world, and to invite them in. And so for Joseph, the celebration of that first Christmas, it wasn't about opening gifts that he might get of things that he wished that he could have. It was about being willing to take risks to care for someone else who otherwise would have been neglected and uncared for and been opened up 
to all kinds of potential for abuse. Do you know that's one of the best things you or I could do this Christmas? Very practically to celebrate the good news of Jesus coming to this world is to think about who might be vulnerable and in need of care and if not cared for might be susceptible to all kinds of harm and to love them, to care for them. As a, as a nation in the past year, uh, we have been exposed to story after story in a way that it, it's hard to even take in the level of information that's come of people sharing of how they've been abused by either their CEOs or film directors or religious leaders. Uh, it, it's, it's been across the spectrum in our social, political, and religious life of people just in the last year who've lost their jobs and had their careers entirely called into question because it's been revealed that they took advantage of those who were vulnerable and reported to them rather than use their authority and their power to serve and to care and to love them and to make them safe. And as much as we need to, and we do, need those stories to continue to come to light and we need to think about how to prosecute that, how to punish that appropriately, how to make sure people feel safe and protected from that ever happening again. As we look out into the future, we also have to ask, how do we form people so that they don't do those things, <laughs> right? Reactively, there's how do we punish people rightly when they've done it. Forward or proactively, we're also asking the question, where do we form people? and men in particular. Please don't be offended by this, but I think it's the biggest moral challenge that we will face in the next 20 years. How do we develop men in particular who are of character, and though they might have the physical power or the political power or social power, do not use it for the wrong reasons. And as a church, we have to answer that. And I think we have resources to answer it in ways that others even can't. We have within the very coming of our own Savior into the world an example of our Savior's earthly father who put himself at risk to care for someone who was vulnerable and in need and still did the just thing, but the just thing that was also the most loving thing he could possibly do to practically care for and take care of Mary, so that when this child came, it was an experience of joy, that they named him together, that they raised him together, and that we have the continuing story of Matthew to read. But it is something for us to consider in this Christmas season. It's not bad to get gifts, and it's not bad to share good things with people. That's part of the way you might be able to invite someone who's vulnerable or left out into a sense of safety and security by including them into the various ways that you might celebrate the holidays this time of year. But as Christians, we might have certain ways, just like Joseph did, to think we're doing the just thing, but while pushing problems away from us. That no one could come and say, well, you did the wrong thing because you didn't cuss them out or you didn't embarrass them in public or this or that and say, 
yeah, but I think you're still ignoring what's on your doorstep. (laughs) I think you're still missing the opportunity that might be right in front of you of not just trying to avoid the bad, but doing the good and doing the best that you can with whatever the resources are that you have. For Joseph, it's commendable. He's not the Savior. Christ is the Savior. But it's a a beautiful picture in the wisdom of God that in the sending of his son into the world, for Joseph, the most practical thing that that meant for him every single day was to love Mary. And as we celebrate the birth of Christ and his coming to the world and all of that means, the most practical ways that we can live that out is in how we love other people every single day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your miraculous coming into this world. A birth that was unlike any other because of your life that served a purpose different from all others. To give all of us hope into future and to reveal to us your very heart for this world. We thank you that you care about those who are vulnerable, who are often excluded. We thank you that you intervened into the heart of Joseph when he was going to do what no one would have criticized him for, but you wanted him to do more than that. You wanted him to have different categories for how to behave and how to act. And so we thank you that you spoke into his heart and that he accepted the responsibility to care for Mary. And we pray that you would help us in our own lives, not for this to be a historical story of thousands of years ago, but to recognize the ways in which we are confronted on a regular basis with opportunities to take risk, to express love, to show concern, to bring people into a sense of safety and security. We pray that you would speak into our hearts that we would not fear to take others as our brothers, as our sisters, as our neighbors, as our coworkers and friends. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.